You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Welcome to Why I'll Never Make It, a weekly podcast featuring stories and insights into what holds us back as artists and how we overcome these challenges. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, a professional actor and singer for more than 25 years. Today's guest is Remy Germanario, who I first met while taking improv classes at Upright Citizens Brigade in New York City. Now, he's an actor as well as a comedian, and he'll be sharing how he got into stand-up and how we as creatives wear many hats and how we have to showcase many talents. You are not just one thing, you know, you don't have to just like pigeonhole yourself into this box. So like the acting stuff is what you really want to take off versus the podcast, but I think they both inform the other. In fact, this whole month of episodes is dedicated to the various ways that we as creatives can exercise our artistic muscles. Last week was Miata Adoga, an actress who found a calling to be a financial coach. Next week, I'll be talking to Megan Carver, another actress who found a passion in filmmaking and producing. And at the end of this month, I'm honored to have the one and only Dave Jackson, a Hall of Fame podcaster sharing how we as artists can use this medium to further our craft. As Remy says, there's no reason to pigeonhole ourselves as just an actor or a dancer or director. We can do many things. And for our well-being, I, I think we need to pursue as many avenues as we can to not only feed our bank accounts and find work, but also to feed our souls as we find creative outlets for the kind of art that we want to make. And I want this podcast to be a resource for you as you discover more ways to pursue a career in this industry and sustain it through the many ups and downs that will follow. Now, for insights and motivations, you can be a part of the WinMe community on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find the podcast on both of those platforms at WinMe Podcast. And you can always reach out to me on the website as well, contact.winmepodcast.com. Com. So it was a few months ago that I was at an audition and ran into Remy. It had been a while since he and I had seen each other in the class, and we started talking about all the stand-up he's been doing, and it just fascinated me and surprised me as to what all actually goes into being a comedian. And it's that conversation that inspired what you're about to hear today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with your Christmas tree. That's what happens. Every time people come to the home studio, they love the Christmas tree. I'm getting in the Christmas spirit. I'll be very jovial during this podcast. It's great. (laughs) With a lot of magic and maybe some elves. Yes. Patrick is dressed as Santa Claus right now, which is coincidentally a fetish of mine. So I'm just kidding. And you're very elf-like, so it works. There you go. It works. (laughs) Now, Remy... You and I first met when doing uh, Upright Citizens Brigade, UCB, and was that your first inkling into improv, or had you been doing improv before? Um, I That was my first, like, actual, like, like formal training in yeah. terms of it, like, at an actually reputable place, like, as an adult. But I did improv a lot, like, in high school, um, and, and even before that, I you know, I took acting classes, and improv was a big part of the acting classes, so I knew a lot of it. Um, and in college, you know, we did, you know, a lot of improv and it was just always an sort of a natural thing 
for me, I've always been good with banter in, in that respect. Right. Um, but UCB, like doing the long form with Harold and all the specifics that come with it, that was very new to me. Yeah, and yeah. Same here. It's and hard, right? Yeah, yeah. Because it, it really engages your thinking ahead, but at the same time, trying to stay present yeah. in the moment so you can react. Yeah, you know, it's honestly. scientific. Well, because it's one thing to just like be funny and say something funny, but you're creating this this piece that's like, it's, it's very... Um, thought out mm-hmm. you know because like you know most actors can you know come up with something on the spot but not something in relation to the suggestion and then you have to do these three scenes followed by it's really really technical it's difficult so that was the first time for long form improv and did you find this to be the case as well that your improv actually helped you it, it especially helped me in auditions but it helped me a little bit on stage oh yeah it, it can only help you know it's about being spontaneous and living yeah. in the moment and um, a lot of the shows I've done, like actual like plays I've done since those UCB courses and everything have had a little bit of improv in it. Right. Um, kind of like breaking the fourth wall and talking to audiences and in that respect. So it's, it's totally helped. Yeah, because in my 101 class, the best thing my teacher ever said, and I carried it with me all the way through, was don't try to be funny. Yeah. That's like the death knell for any improver is to try to be funny, to yeah. push the comedy. Well, even past improv and anything, yeah. in stand-up and in in sitcoms and movies, it's like, I, I think the funniest is, I love dry humor and, and really sharp wit. Especially dry humor, which is what I like to do, like like dad jokes and that kind of just mm-hmm. dry stuff where you, you're going to get, prob- yeah, you're going to get as many groans as you will laughter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I love that kind. And for that, you really have to keep it natural. So as far as your, your comedy, was that merely an extension of you being an actor? Because right now you're kind of pursuing both. There's like this comedic track and then there's your actor track. Yeah, it. I do consider it an extension. You know, I've been performing since I was a kid, you know, whether it be professionally or not. But um, I, comedy has always been a part of me. I've always loved being funny, whether it be in a musical or a play or in, in an improv class or something. Like, I've gotten the most joy out of making people laugh. And even when I was younger and in high school and college, like, I knew, even in social situations, like, my thing was that, oh, I'm funny. I'm, I'm good at banter and I'm good at, you know, coming up with one-liners and things like that. Was it the attention that it gave you? Is that why you liked it? Yeah, I think so. Um, but not in, like, an overcompensating way. Like, it wasn't like a crutch or a defense mechanism or something but I did like that that was the thing that made me special and it was a unique right. kind of humor um, I never thought I would do, be doing stand up sketch maybe you know what I mean like I, I always liked you know kind of dabbling in sketch comedy but and maybe pursuing it more but it wasn't really on my radar never stand up so that was kind of new why I got into stand up is that uh, it was oh gosh I guess I started doing stand up a little over two years ago now mm-hmm. um you know, I was and am grateful for the acting opportunities that I did and, and do get. You know, I'm very grateful to work as an actor. Um, but I I was dealing with, especially back then, a lot of, like, hardships, you know, a lot of rejection, a uh, little bit of a lack of opportunities. And the thing that did it was that um, – and it's fine. Like, that's the business that happens. But my agency at the time dropped me. Uh, and I was really – I was depressed about did it. Did they give you a reason? Uh, that they, the higher ups were just like, they needed to cut people who weren't getting auditions. And that was me. I just was too specific. I wasn't even getting in the room and that's not their fault necessarily. It's no one's fault. Like they, it was fine. Like it wasn't a bad breakup by any means, but like it depressed me, you know, it's of course, you know, just cause it's, that's such a hard thing to get an agent. There's no rhyme or reason as to why. And so I needed a creative outlet, you know, given that I didn't have that representation 
anymore. And so people have always told me to try stand up like and this is so silly, but based on like my Facebook statuses, I'd make <laughs> I used to make like a lot of like witty jokes on Facebook. And yeah. everyone was like, you should go do stand up. So I tried it. And yeah, it was it was an interesting journey. And was, and was it uh, your first one? Was it just an open mic that you just showed up? At? Yeah, it's it was an open mic. But this specific show, which I still go to, it's so good. It feels like a show more than a mic. It's a comedy mob. Um, it's run by a good friend of mine, Kevin Hurley and George Van Arthos. Um, it's the, 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 I'm just gonna say the best open mic in New York City. First of all, you don't have to pay to perform okay i'm already sold you know because that's what so many mics are and it's fine like they're good mics you know you have to try out material but you don't have to pay to perform um and it's at the grizzly pear on mcdougall street and they actually get like audience members you know it's not just because a lot of open mics are miserable it's just like you and four other comedians and no one's listening to you because they're looking at their set and it's (laughs) wretched and you want to die and you want to jump off a cliff you know what i mean but they actually get like actual audience members there and the crowd goes crazy it's like there's like 30 to 40 people in there sometimes so it feels like an actual show do do you actually know if your jokes are working or not yeah it's a great i almost i feel like there's like i when I do go to Comedy Mob, I don't do brand new material there just because it's like, even though it is a mic technically, I almost don't want to waste like brand new material on such a good crowd. Right. So I'll kind of do like second tier new material, like things that I worked on on a lower stakes mic. And then I bring in like, oh, let's really see how it goes. Right, now, right. But yeah, so it was an open mic and that was my first time. So I, I'm so curious about this process because a lot of stand-up is is the writing first. You first have to write it. You, mm-hmm. you have to create these stories and scenarios. And what is that writing, crafting the story like? Sure. Um, I, I think the best things come from real life and making fun of yourself. Um, I, honestly, my writing comes from if something funny happens to me or I say something funny, I have a little note on my phone that's just comedy and you write it, you have a weird thought or something funny happens to you and, and you form around that. And you exaggerate it a little bit sometimes. But I think the best comedy just comes from just like real life and, and making fun of all your your little eccentricities. Um, that, I mean, that's just how I do it. You mm-hmm. know, I you come up with you write down a, like a random idea when you're walking around the street or in the subway. And then you kind of try to find like three other bullet points that you can expand on that. So kind of like one one idea that you have just randomly might lead to like three other points you can make within that joke. OK, um, to make it a bit. So you have the story, but then that that leads to like a, a, a certain topic or a theme or, or message or yes, something. Or other jokes included right, with that. Right, Because I'm not a big like one-liner person. There are some com- – and that's great if you are. But like there's some people who are like, one-liner, but I'm boom. Hey, yeah. well, one-liner, but I'm boom. No, I'm, I'm the kind of person where like I'll pick a subject and I'll stay on it for a second. Yeah. You know, and that just – a lot of it is storytelling. Sometimes you don't even need a punchline necessarily. It's just telling a funny story. Right, right. Like for example, you, you, you something funny happened in the bathroom. That can lead you to yeah. different wiping techniques then that can lead you into <laughs> you know you know then that can lead you into I, how 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 people dry their hands right. or paper right. towels or do they do the exactly. dyson you know exactly this is a really great bit may see? i just see? say oh, i'm i'm trying to give an example of how things can just happen yeah i think you've got something here <laughs> i think i think you're ready well here's the thing i was also intrigued to talk to you because stand up comedy like like doing the improv stuff i liked and there was a bit of nervousness with that because every time you start something you never know where it's going to go but with stand up you really do know where it's going to go 
you just don't know how the audience is going to take it. And so for me, that's the nerve wracking. Sure. I get it. You know, just because it is. I always consider it just like acting. Like actors say that to me a lot, being like, oh my God, you're so brave to have to do that. And I'm like, it's not that crazy. It's kind of like acting. You write a script and you do it and sometimes they like it and sometimes they don't. Yes, it's different because you're physically talking to them and there's improvisation and crowd work involved. And, and usually it's self-stories and correct. You know, vulnerable. And sure, there's a little bit more of an extra pressure because the whole point is to laugh. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I don't think it's as scary as many people think it is necessarily okay well maybe that's just because you're good at it oh right i I mean because i I would imagine if you're not good at it it is it can be miserable Uh, yeah because i but i bomb sometimes you know i there are some jokes there are times when i will say a joke and it kills kills at a club or something and then i could do the the, uh, at another another show the very next day and nothing you know do you find that just like a, a word or two a phrase out of place and that that takes the joke away or is it or is it just that crowd just didn't get it um i think it could could be a combination of both um i'd like to think that i do it pretty word perfect at this point you know to get what that what i need across so i think that could potentially change the timing of it and also just what i'm used to but i think it could just be that crowd specifically Um, you know because especially club shows are very interesting like when you're doing like the house shows for clubs um the very first like show i ever did like at a club um, was for all tourists, you know what I mean? And up until that point, I had just been doing like either open mics or um, like friends produce shows like for New Yorkers, right? right? And New Yorkers get my humor. I'm a dirty comic. I use foul language. I use sexual situations. I, I kind of, I'm a little bit racy with my, not racist, to be clear. Uh, <laughs> completely different. Racy and a little bit shocking with my material. So New Yorkers get that. We're in it. But my first time performing for only tourists they did not get me you know so uh, but also at some club shows you'll get new yorkers there too yeah just wanting to go see a comedy show so it really does vary based on cultures based on that night based i don't know yeah there's no rhyme or reason as to why a set will go well so depending on your audience will you gauge a uh, a comedy routine or or, or your script based upon that absolutely absolutely i've cut stuff you know, if um, a really great... T- so I have, a, for example, I have a, a section, uh, a lot of like Republican and Trump jokes. And I'll ask the host before I go on, because the host usually does crowd work and asks where people are from. And I go, hey, like, what's the general consensus? And the other day I was on a show and like this host was like, there's a lot of Southerners in there. I'm like, all right, I'm not going to do my Trump stuff. Right. You know, you gauge it. Um, I have a whole bit that I think is very funny and and usually kills when it works uh, on Sex and the City. Um, And I literally ask the crowd, any fans of Sex and the City? And if it's like a woo, then I'll absolutely say it. But a couple times, and it's a good cover, a couple times it'll be like, any fans of Sex and the City? Crickets. Crickets or, and I'll be like, all right, moving on. I was going to do five minutes on Sex and the City. It's cut. Uh, And then you kind of have to go on from there. But yeah, you absolutely should gauge. Yeah, I imagine that's where the improv can come into play as far as like, okay, we're going to move around this. Okay, we're not going to do that. Now you kind of change your script on the fly. All on the fly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All on the fly. Love that. Yeah. So has your stand up, now that that's starting to kind of take off, has it influenced your acting has it has it has it bettered it has how how have the two joined together your actor side and your comedian side i think absolutely i think that it's it's a two-way street i think they've both come together i think in terms of acting 
and stand up, like uh, acting affecting uh, affecting my stand up. I think it's just about confidence, mm-hmm. you know, overall. So I feel like I've, I've gotten confidence more in both of those things. Like because because do you have to be more real as a stand up? You're you're, yeah. you're not acting a part. You're not playing Remy. You just have to you, be. That's a great way to put it, actually. And you, I was kind of trying to find the words, but you just <laughs> gave it to me, and that's why you're here. That's it. Um. Yeah. Absolutely. You have to be so much more real and yourself. And what I say about stand-up, again, it's just like acting. What I think is so funny about stand-up comedy, when I'm watching someone and they're really good, it's as if they're saying these things, for the like as if they're coming up with this bit or this joke on the spot. Right. But they have practiced this like word perfectly. But what's funny about it is that they're being very natural and conversational with you. But and it feels like they're saying this for the first time. But then there's just like theater or acting. There's the suspension of disbelief that no, 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 they have practiced this. They do this every single night. Um, so I think that that's a great way. It's helped me um, in the acting world. And stand up comedy has helped me in the acting world because it's really just a good part of my pitch. Right, you know what I mean. Right. Like I've I've done. Uh, there's a show called Buyer and Seller that I've done a few times, which is a one man show with characters and me talking to the audience, and it it is kind of stand up esque. And so right. like my manager uses stand up comedy. He's an actor and a stand up comedian, and I feel like it helps with certain shows and any experience with comedy you have if you're going in for a comedic role in a play or um, film and TV, especially. I think yeah. it just helps a lot. Well, yeah, I was just about to ask that because. Doing the stand again because I'm in my own brain of like how nerve wracking that must be. Is is acting almost a vacation from that, or is it just a different side of your brain and just as difficult in a different way? I think it is a vacation from that. I at, at the end of the day, I am an actor. Right. You know what I mean. Even though I, I do comedy, it's acting. Yeah. You know, in in its own way. So I I am an actor, um, a comedic actor. I I love I love performing. Yes, I love being me and doing my jokes and everything, but my big, big, big passion is getting a script that someone else has already written. And whether it's the characters close to me or not, um, that's like my true big passion. So it's, I don't know if it's a vacation from stand-up comedy, but um, it's just a little extra bonus when I actually get like an acting. So I'm very grateful for all the the stand-up and sketch and everything. And so you said that the stand-up was kind of an extension or something that you started to pursue once once the agent dropped you. Mm-hmm. You were kind of in a place where auditionings weren't happening. Yeah. And so now that that has started to take off, have you found that the acting is starting to pick up as well? Have have you have definitely, you, okay. definitely? And I think that again has to do with the pitch. You know, my manager uses this and pitches. You know, and everything, and that that stands out. You know, casting directors get a gazillion you know submissions every day but yeah. if someone's like oh a stand-up comedian that's unique you right. know but he's also an actor you know so that helps and i think it's just given me a little bit more uh drive yeah in a way just because it was a creative i could have just like when that happened i could have just sulked and like not gone to epas or open calls and i could have not tried to search for other representation but like i needed a creative outlet and it allowed me to take a lot of this energy that I was feeling and like hopelessness I was feeling and make something out of it. You know, we're in a day and age with where um, there's so much content out there, you know, and I feel like many actors are, you know, you know, maybe they've worked and or maybe they are working, but maybe they're not at the place where they thought they were going to be. And so everyone always says, create your own work, create your own work, create your own work, right? Which um, can be daunting in of itself. So, so daunting. I mean, the fact that you literally have done three seasons of this podcast is, <laughs> I bow down, you know, it's so, it's so much work. And the fact mm-hmm. that you have committed to this for three seasons, like, that's, I think, incredible, you know? Thank you. And so I, I think overall, it, it's, 
each has helped the other just because me having the creative drive to do comedy has also given me equal drive to pursue acting yeah. more than I already was. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because because the podcast itself has 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 made me look at my acting career a little differently How because because so? there's so many things that I have to do for the podcast like like there's the prep that goes into these interviews mm-hmm. there's prep that goes into the the social media the posting the marketing the the, the writing yeah. whether it's for the episodes itself or mm-hmm. you know maybe I want to do a blog post about sure. this about that it's a lot of work so, yeah so there's so many different moving parts and the marketing aspect was something that really stood out to me it's like I advertise more for my podcast than I do for my own career mm-hmm. and my my own career the acting part as you said that's what i really am first and foremost and that's what i want to take off but what i will say um my boyfriend uh uses this term a lot he he's a, a photographer and a producer he's also an actor um he uses this term a lot being called a multi-hyphenate mm. meaning like you're not just one thing right you know you don't have to just like pigeonhole yourself into this box so like for what you're saying like it's like you know the acting stuff is what you really want to take off versus the podcast but like I think they both inform the other you know like it's not this is part of your career you know it's you're you're literally doing this like this performing pot I don't know I think it all comes together yeah you know because this could be a means to an end as well see and for for years and years I've known like like for me being in front of people has never been a problem there's some people who like like being an actor and they like a script but then when it comes to like being on stage and, and giving a speech or like actually talking to people, whether it's stand up. Being themselves. Right, being themselves, then that's tough for them. And for me, like I like the hosting part. I like You're great at it. Yeah. Well thank you. And and, and I love being in front of people and that's something that I learned from from Disney. Disney kinda helped me break that fourth wall because they have some dinner shows and things yeah. where you have to be with an audience. And I think submerging yourself into an audience really helps when you're on stage and you're kind of more removed from them. Have well, you be- found that to be true? Absolutely. Just because, well, because, the, you know, the whole thing of theater acting is that it, art reflects life, right? So if you feel comfortable connecting on a more human, personal level with people in, a, in, in an improvisational situation, like physically talking to someone while you're quote unquote performing, when you are more removed, when that fourth wall is there in a scene or whatever, you're, that automatically makes you more human and relatable. And then the audience is going to be on that ride with you in whatever show or thing you're doing. So I think it thousand percent helps now i did want to dig into the process let's dig into the process of getting on that stage mm-hmm. like you said your open mic night was it was fairly that first one was fairly easy because it was free as far as like being a stand-up comic and kind of going that route like what does it mean and how do you get into these clubs i think it's even harder than acting to be honest i think you have to take so much more into your own hands you know, so like, for example, like with acting for representation, right? Yes, getting representation is one thing. But once you have it, it's in their hands to look through the auditions for you and send you out on them. You know, what I mean, it's in a way that's a weight off your shoulders. You just show up at the audition mm-hmm. and that's your job. But they get you the auditions at least. Right. You're not going to get an Asian in comedy until you're famous. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? Because their goal is to be like, hey, comedy club, can you put this famous person I have on? But they're not going to do that for like an up and coming comedian just because that's just not how it works. And even if you don't have an agent in acting, you can go to open calls, you can go to EPAs, you know what I mean? Uh, which is also listed for you. It's, but with, that, with comedy, it's you, you are your own representation until you're big, you know? So there's different like tiers of what you could do. I mean, the first thing, no matter what, is open mics. That's where you try out your jokes. 
some of them are terrible. You kind of have to like date a lot of them to see because sometimes there's just like, like I said, like three other comedians and no one's listening to you and no one's laughing and it's terrible and awful. But then, you know, you get to know the ones that are really actually reputable. People stay the whole time. People are a little bit more attentive. You know, Um, there's a great website called freemics.com and that lists pretty much every single open mic in New York City and their date and their time, how to sign up you know, all that stuff, how much it costs, if it costs anything. Um, so that's the first step to just literally try out new jokes, yeah. you know. Um, then, uh, ideally, you meet someone. I mean, even huge comedians go to open mics. It's not just for, like, amateurs trying to do. No, I've, I've, I see those specials with these comedians talking about how they'll go to some kind of yeah. hole in the wall in a random city yeah. to just kind of try out something new. That's how you do it. Because, you don't, like I said, you don't want to do a brand new joke in front of a huge paying audience. Right, you don't want to try out a new joke on your Netflix special. Exactly. Um, so ideally, though, you make friends with people who you meet at those mics who produce their own shows. So let, there's a lot of independent, there are independently produced shows that aren't mics, like there is a lineup. Um, people do them at bars and other special places sometimes. Like a friend of mine hosts a, a show in a, a community garden. You know, he uh, that same person, his name is Ellington Berg. He's a, a good friend of mine. He also hosts a show at a dog cafe. You know, so they're all over. Why not? Why I love not? it. Yeah. And that's kind of like where you do like your 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 good material. You know what I mean? Like the material you've been working on in the open mics, you do it at this place where it's actually audience members and not necessarily other comedians. And so I'm not a producer. I bow down to any comedian who produces their own show. It doesn't sound appealing to me specifically. Um, but, you know, if you producing your own show is a great way to meet people and, you know, do comedy. But I you make friends and do that. Then the hardest part is actually doing the club scene. It's really hard. You have to do at every single club um, that you might want to audition for. You have to contact them and do what are called bringer shows, uh, where to get five minutes of time on stage, you have to bring, bringer, bring at like five people or so. They have to buy a ticket and a two drink minimum. And you get five minutes. And it's, quote unquote, an audition for the club. Some are better than others, yeah. uh, but you usually have to do about like two or three of them before you actually like get to the next level with this club. So basically, you have to like prostitute your friends out yep. and be like, will you please whore yourself out for me by this so that I can be on stage? And you have to be very careful with your bringer shows. Like I know people who will do like bringer after bringer after bringer. You have to spread them out because otherwise you will exhaust your friends and you don't give yourself time to grow and learn from that last time and let the club see how you've grown. You know what I mean? Right. And there are some bringers which are maybe not necessarily associated with the clubs. They're kind of scammy and people just do it to get people in their their show, but it's not really an audition to further yourself. Um, so the two clubs I've worked with the most are my uh, my big one is Stand Up New York. I love them. They're awesome. They're on the Upper West Side. And what happened was I did, so Comedy Mob, that open mic, that I told you about that's really great. They work with Stand Up New York and they they do bringer shows where it's like an audition for the booker and everything. So I did two bringers like six months apart at Stand Up New York. I got, I got good feedback, a good tape on both of them. Um, and then uh, Comedy Mob hosts a competition every year at Stand Up New York. And not this past year, but the year before, I I did the competition through Comedy Mob, which wasn't a bringer, by the way. It helped if you brought people because you they could vote for you, but you didn't have to bring anyone right but on that was my third time performing there i got to the finals and i had heard on their podcast they have a podcast that the bringer liked me and she was giving like she was telling her feedback that excuse me the um the booker liked me and she was giving feedback for all the finalists from the competition she had really good things to say about me so i reached out and i was like hey um 
thanks so much for your kind words. It was great to be on the competition. Uh, I've done two bringers with you guys, and now this. What's my next step with, at Stand Up New York? And she goes, I'm going to pass you. So getting passed, that's the goal. When you are passed, it means that you are now a regular comic at the club and oh. could, in theory, start getting paid there. But it's still more of a journey. Yeah. So the first part of getting... So that was really exciting. That was the first club I've gotten passed at. Uh, you start in what are called check spots, where you are the comic... I love the, all these terminologies that, that go into... I mean, we go to school for years and yeah. learning all the, the various actor and theater terminology that we need. But y- you're like on a whole new vocabulary. Yeah, and that was... So, it was a whole transition. <laughs> it really, really was. So check spots means that you're the prefer- person performing when the audience is paying their checks. <laughs> it's okay. the bitch spot. That doesn't sound great. It's hard sometimes, you know. It's, yeah. I've actually been very fortunate with my check spots at Stand Up New York. So I'm still on check spots there, um, but I've been pretty good about it, you know. And the, uh, it's just about get, getting their attention, doing crowd work, you know, in terms of that. So it's hard, but I, I've had pretty good luck with it. And then another great club um, that I work with sometimes is Broadway Comedy Club. I. I enjoy how Broadway Comedy Club handles these bringer auditions. I think more than any other club, they have a clear path to success there. So you do these bringers. The booker literally calls you the next day and gives you detailed feedback about your set. And you have the potential to win a guest spot, meaning a five-minute spot on like a professional show. You also have the opportunity to win a one-month residency, meaning you perform once a week for a month, a two-month residency, or a six-month residency. So I've done a couple of those, and I've gotten like a couple residencies from it. So it's an actual like incentive. Yeah, it seems like they're actually fostering new talent. That's like almost a thing. Exactly. So it's hard, but those are the different ways. And then, of course, you can audition at NACA, which is this, like, convention where colleges come and watch you, and you can get booked at colleges. And... So it's like SETC or yeah. NETC, but for yeah. stand I've never done that. But, yeah, there's really no <clears throat> correct answer on how to get into stand-up. It's kind of your own journey. Um, my goal, because I, you know, this is fun, and I do like doing it. It is a creative outlet. But I'd also like to ideally, like, do something profitable and, and lucrative with yeah. this, which is why I'm, I'm especially focusing on, on clubs. You know, that's what I want to do. I love doing the produce shows. But I have, like, a friend who's, like, fully just, like, doesn't want to do clubs and wants to do, like, the alt scene, you know, these individually produced shows. And I was like, that's great. You know, everyone has their own journey. Yeah. Has it actually started to make money for you a little bit here yeah, and there? a little bit. Yeah, you know, every every now and then you'll get a, I've been, I, you know, get a paid gig. I hosted a show at a, uh, a club and they paid me for the first time. That was the first time I'd gotten like paid at like a major New York comedy club. I, I, I was the host of the show. I didn't right. produce it, but like I was the one introducing the comics and everything. And I walked out with some money. I was like, that's kind of cool. You know, it's, it's slow, but you know, you make the best of it. So speaking of, of making the best of it, so there have to have been times when it just absolutely does not work. It's it's just a cricket of a night. Yeah. You know, I, I, there's probably yeah. a terminology for that. A you bomb. Know? It, uh, thank you. Um, yeah. So how how have those gone <laughs> for you? Um, the, the, I've been very grateful that I've never like, you know, important situation i've never like bombed 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 like maybe it didn't go great or maybe a joke didn't work or something i've had sets where like in general it was pretty quiet but not one where it was like oh wow that was so unbelievably bad if i did have that it was usually in one of those really bad mics you know and yeah some crowds maybe don't get it as much you know i i will walk off stage and i'll be like and that didn't go well 
you know, but um, I've never like been heckled or like completely like, I'm pretty good that if I do like if one specific joke does get crickets or bombs, like um, recovering and like making almost a joke that I bombed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'm good. I'm pretty decent at that. Um, but yeah, there have been a couple nights where it's just like not a lot of laughs. I, I'm pretty good at making it seem like everything's okay, but... Sure. And and how do you know if it's the, the joke itself, it just isn't funny, so cut it, or if it, oh, I just need to work on it more and it'll get there. How do you know that? It's hard. I think it's about repetition. You know what I mean? If you're really proud of a joke, I think I think any joke that you write deserves at least three times to try it out, you know, and tweaking in between. I don't think you should try a joke. It doesn't get last. I don't think you should throw it away right away. I think you should try it like a couple times. Right, right. Um, to make sure that wasn't a fluke. Correct. I think it's repetition. If it goes three times and no one laughs at it, it's out. Yeah. You know? <laughs> then bye-bye. Yeah. So let's get to know Remy a little bit better. Oh, gosh. Here we go. For you yourself, was was growing up uh, being funny, acting, being on stage, was all this kind of a part of your childhood? Yeah, I did. I did my first play when I was five. Um, so my dad, um, he like, you know, he had done, you know, dabbled in little acting things, you know, whether in college and, you know, throughout his life. And he was in a band. He was a performer. And I grew up in Tampa, Florida, and he started getting involved with a community theater in Tampa. And like I saw him do a show and I thought that was really cool. And I want to do what dad does. So I did a production of A Christmas Carol and I played Tiny Tim <laughs> uh, when I was five years old. God bless us, everyone. You could still be Tiny Tim. Oh, Tiny Twink, more like. But, uh, <laughs> You're so precious. <laughs> yes, Tiny Twunk. Uh, but yeah, so I just, I really, I caught the bug and I continued doing it. And I don't really remember when I started like knowing that I was funny I don't really I was thinking of that because that's the because like Christmas Carol like that's when I got the performing bug the acting bug but I don't think that there's a pinpoint of when I started to really like being funny I can't think of what it would be was there a moment when you realized oh I'm actually funny and people like what I do maybe I could do this definitely in high school Mm -hmm. you know because I started to do the community theater that I'd work with, Carolwood Players in Tampa, Florida. I, I I owe so much to them. It was an amazing, amazing nurturing environment for me. Like I I would do. I did this one play there when it was it was like a almost like a comedic telling of Jack the Ripper, and I was like this like like <laughs> blubbering like detective who like was actually a terrible detective, and I thought that was really funny. Um, in high school, especially like senior year. Especially when I started to really like comedy, we did this show called "Too Much Light Makes the Baby Go Blind." Um, okay. It's this troupe that started—I don't know if it's in New York, but they're called the Neo Futurists, and they—they um, they just have this like series of hundreds of hundreds of sketches, you know. Uh, and they there's there's so many of you can do, and they do it. You can do it all around the con- the country, and we did it at our high school. You pick thirty of them. You can pick whatever one. And the goal is to do all 30 set sketches in 60 minutes. And the audience picks what number. I've, I've done this kind of thing. Well, I started to do this kind of thing. When I was living in Orlando, there was a group of us. And we wanted to do this where there's like 30 numbers mm-hmm. behind. And people just shout out a number and yeah. we do that sketch next. Yeah, yeah. that's too much light makes the baby go blind. That's yeah. the name yeah. of the... Yeah, so that... So definitely high school, you know. And I, I think that's a big inspiration for me was Friends. Like growing up and and around like late middle school, early high school years is when I started to find that. And Friends was just like the handbook in comedy 
yeah. for me. Problematic at points now, where it's written today, but you know what can you do? Um, well, in five years, this podcast is going to be problematic. Yeah. So it's everything. Everything's is, yes, exactly. And so once you started doing uh, performing, did you think I want to major in that? I could do this for a living, or did you want to get a real degree? I definitely knew I wanted to do it for a living. I couldn't really think of other things I really wanted to do. I kind of thought about it. Like I was like, oh, maybe I could be a journalist or a nurse or an interior designer. Um, all homosexual jobs. <laughs> um, but not necessarily uh, a journalist. I mean, I, I don't know. Be, um, maybe. Maybe depending. Uh, I would make it a very gay job. Of course. Um, No, but I definitely knew I wanted to pursue it, you know, as a living. Um, In high school, you know, when you actually have to start thinking about college, that's when I started to think about getting a degree. I knew I wanted a degree degree. You know, like a like a bachelor's degree right. in it. Um, <laughs> there was this little voice in my head saying, like, you should minor in something or double major in something in case acting doesn't work out. So that's a big reason why I wanted to go to like an, uh, a four-year college rather than like a conservatory. And there's nothing wrong with the conservatory. Um, but yeah, I started like religiously. My, my number one choice was NYU. And I just would like research it all the time. And I was obsessed with it almost more for New York City than I was for the actual school right, itself. Yeah. Um, but then I started to fall in love with the school and it was my number one choice and it worked out. Now you you did end up minoring in something quote unquote real yes. in psychology. Wow. Is that on my website? It is on your That's, website. Did I make a joke saying it means nothing? <laughs> did I say that <laughs> on my see, website? Yeah. But see, to me, it's also fascinating because there's so much psychology that really goes into acting and, and piecing <sighs> together a character. Right. However, not my minor. I took four classes and I slept in for most of my intro to psychology class and skipped it. Which so. also says a lot about your psychology. Ex- there you go. So, so you I'm, learned a lot. No, but you're right. Yes, that, <laughs> that is a big reason why I did pick psychology, though I will say it means absolutely nothing. Sorry, mom and dad who paid for my college. How dare you? How I dare know. you? See, I did double mate. Uh, in what? No, I'm sorry, I double minored. Oh, in what? In theater and vocal performance. Oh, that, well, that works out. So that I could major in broadcasting. Ah. <gasps> Did you ever do broadcasting? I actually never did. You would be such a good news anchor. I think so. I mean, that's... I was actually never an anchor because we did our, like, university Mm -hmm. news, the Sanford News Network. And so I was never an anchor at the desk, but... Again, because I'm an actor, I wanted to do Mr. Sanford's Neighborhood. So basically, I would pick a a topic or something that was going on around campus, and I would just riff on it for like a little five-minute feature segment. Improv. Yeah, yeah. A lot of it was improv, but I, you know, I tried to write it out and have something to say about it. Oh, that's such in your. That's so in your wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah. So I loved that. Wait, I completely remember where I knew I was funny. You just inspired me. Like when okay. I really know, I do know the moment. It was about two minutes ago. Yeah. Correct. Two mi- yeah, two minutes ago. Um, I did the morning show in my elementary school. You know, like the little, bro- you know how you broadcast it? Uh-huh. Um, like you do like a little, hi, this is the, mor-, and you get like students to do it. Okay, see, I didn't have this. I, until college, I never had such a thing. We had that, but for elementary school, we had this. So like you, we would rotate like who, what job people would do every week. So you went from like anchor one, anchor two, the lunch menu, the weather, camera one, camera two, sound, you know, like we would rotate. There was like eight of us that would rotate. I always loved being the anchor, obviously. Like that was my favorite role that I did. But one week I was on lunch menu and that was like a pretty boring one. Like people really didn't want the lunch menu one. Right. But I was going to make the most of it. So I decided to do a character, an Italian chef. Um, <laughs> and every day I would do this like terrible Italian accent with the chef's hat. 
Um, and I would say the lunch menu. And I got made fun of to no end, but um, it was a critical success, at least. Right, right. It, what, my you, teachers loved it. My, my your classmates. Your fellow students. Mm, I mean, but they loved to make fun of it. So you still got love. Yeah. They were laughing at me, but they were laughing. And that's... Do you find that even trying to be funny, you don't care if it's at or with you as long as they're laughing? I mean, because like sometimes in self-deprecating humor, I don't care if they're laughing at me and what I'm doing. Well, that's the thing. Because you've given them permission to in the self-deprecating humor, then they are laughing with you because you're laughing with yourself. Right. I think that there really is a strong difference. Um, Though, I will say, I've gotten into an argument about this. Not an argument, a debate with my boyfriend in terms of like cult classics or like what makes something so good whether it be a really bad like for example showgirls it is technically awful awful movie awful they had every intention of it being an amazing serious film oh yes but it's awful but because of us laughing at it it is now a genius Cult classic movie. Do you know Much what I mean? Much could be said the same of Glitter. Glitter. Mariah Carey. Can I Center tell... Stage. Now, see, I think Center Stage is a better movie than, yes. than, than Glitter. I, I think yes. it's, it's, it's got a bit better story and certainly amazing dancers. So yes. there's talent there. Correct. But what were you going to say about Glitter, though? Well, I was just going to say that what surprised me about Glitter, as bad as that movie is, I remember whenever it was on HBO and I would, you know, be clicking through and it'd be on and then I would stop and I would watch it. Yeah. And that would happen three or four times in like a month when it was coming out. And I was like, why am I watching That's this? That's the beauty but of you those can't movies. Stop. It's so bad that it's good. Yeah. And so the art has transcended from laughing at to laughing with and ultimately it being amazing. Look at The Room. You know The Room? Not with Brie Larson. Okay, see, I'm, t- I'm thinking of that one, no, which no, no, was no. amazing. Which was an amazing film. No, that there's this... Do you, know, do you remember the movie came out a few years ago called The Disaster Artist with James okay, Franco? Yes, yes. That movie is about the movie The Room. Oh, okay. So this really like creepy, weird guy who like no one knows anything about him. He somehow got all this money to make this terrible independent. Like it is so bad, but it's so funny at the same time. But it kind of became this like cult classic because of how absolutely wretched it is, but how serious they're trying to be in it. Right. So... A couple years ago, James Franco made a movie about the making of that movie, and it got a Golden Globe. Do, like <laughs> the truth, you know what yeah. I mean. And the guy who made the bad movie went up to accept the award with James Franco. You know what I'm saying? Like it's See, this full circle, full circle. of. Yeah. So I think laughing at can ultimately turn into laughing with. It's 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 the debate between low camp and high camp. Right. You know what I mean? Like you know, high camp in general, is not seen as funny because they know that they're being funny. They're almost trying to, kind of like we were talking about before, they were playing the comedy. Right, they're pushing the high campness, the the outlandish exaggeration. They know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Low camp is almost more pleasurable because it's not intended to be camp. Well, I I think that's when comedy is funniest anyway when it's like unintended yeah and then all of a sudden like a, a moment happens a spontaneous moment and exactly. it's hysterical like on stage yeah you know like <laughs> i was in uh bridges th- this past summer and at one moment 
uh, I'm playing Robert and the girl playing Francesca comes, she's kind of standing off the stage while I'm taking a picture of her. And then she comes back onto the stage. It's like an eight yeah. inch step. And she just completely misses she it. She eats it. I mean, she goes down. She even like scraped her ankle. Oh no. Yeah. So I mean, Did it, you laugh? it was a little, I mean, in the moment I'm just trying to stay in character and she literally just like plops on the stage and goes, oh well, ah! and just like made a boy. And I'm like, yeah, you can't, these old bridges. I mean, I'm just trying you to You didn't like, laugh? No, oh, I didn't. She, I she chuckled at herself. I would have cracked up. Well, see, like, Bridges is so, like, this, like, brooding kind of... It, it, there's nothing funny about it, right. really. So, I mean, I, I guess I was just in the moment. You but were really in character. I you was, were a serious I actor. was a photographer. Hmm. I was capturing the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, but once we got off stage, literally both of us were on the floor That's laughing funny. at each other. I love those moments. Yeah, yeah. I was, in a, I was in a show once, terrible show, really, really bad. I could There could be a whole other podcast. We all knew... Well, no, okay, you don't have to say where it was, but what's the name of the show i can't say it okay because that would give it away okay. yes correct um but all of us involved in it knew it was bad even the, it pretty much it was this show that this like rich guy this rich republican from like utah like who'd never done a show was like i'm gonna write a show and, oh he wrote the show yeah and so you he was giving, that. yeah you know those ones and even like all of us knew it was bad but we were making the most of it we were getting paid what can you do we all knew it was bad we tried to make it campy mm-hmm. like we tried to take this we knew it was bad material uh and we did our best with it to turn it into something you know worth watching yeah but one day at the very end of the show there's this one scene where we're all on stage and one of the the girl is pointing a gun at this other guy like being like just like about to shoot him like screaming and she lifts up the gun and the gun breaks and she starts cracking up <laughs> trying to say her line with this broken gun like just like can't like can't contain it and then the guy she's pointing the gun at starts laughing hysterically yeah, and then all of us on stage with her we are just dying of laughter there's a, a guy playing he's de- the character is dead on the ground <laughs> and is laughing it was so and the audience ate it up. They loved it. They were like, yeah. finally. Finally, something's happening. Yeah, you know. So I love those moments. The moments like that are, are brilliant. I mean, that, that's the whole point of the, the play the play that goes wrong. I mean, that, yes. that's, that's the whole point of, of it being this serious piece. But then the play is all about just stuff that goes horribly wrong. Waiting for Guffman. Waiting similar, for Guffman. You know. But, but waiting for Guffman is that it's trying to be serious and yes. trying to be this beautiful thing. But that's... It's actually terrible. Right. It's literally the, making fun of those performances. Yeah. That's why Waiting for Guffman's brilliant. So is that your kind of bread and butter when it comes to comedy? More of the dry, I'm not trying to be funny, but that's what makes it funny? Yes. Yeah, I really, really like that. I'd like to think that's what separates me from like people who are like similar to me, who are amazingly funny. You know, it's so easy to compare yourself to other people in this business. There's a lot of rejection and a lot of a lot of competition. You know, and it, you know everyone. So many people are so so talented. So I'd like to think that that kind of comedy, very dry, uh, unintentional humor, that's a little shocking, uh, where you say something and it's almost they almost don't realize it's a joke, and then they get it. Um, I like those, that kind of humor a lot. So the actor, Remy, decided, you know what? I'm going to make a living at this. This is what I want to do. I've now gone to New York. And what was that What was that first year like? Um, it was, it, it at one time was probably my favorite year in New York City. And at the same time, it was probably my least favorite year in New York City in a very strange way. I loved New York. Um my freshman year of college, uh, it was so exciting. Like every time I left my dorm, it was magical. 
you know i I always I have a joke in my stand. It's not one of my best jokes, so you probably won't laugh at it. I'm nervous now, but where I say like everything was amazing, you know, it's faded a little bit. I always like to say that New York City and I used to fuck, but now we're just friends. You know, it was amazing. I I I love being alone. I'm very independent. Um, so I mean, every every weekend I would go see a show by myself. I'd student rush it. I was such a tourist, but I would do like really like cute little niche touristy things all around. I loved. New York. I really did. And I had friends, you know, but I wasn't very social. You know, I I was purposely not very so it wasn't like I was like wallowing in my room. But I don't know what it was. I just was like weirdly very uh, such a loner my freshman year, despite the fact that I did have friends that I'd made. Um, I didn't take advantage of a lot of the traditional college things, you know, clubs and you right. know, going out and partying and you know, all that stuff. Um, I was celibate my freshman year of college, which is crazy. And I, I had had more sex in high school than I did my freshman year of college, which was interesting. Um, I also, in a weird way, wasn't happy with NYU at first. And I don't know what it was. I might have been homesick. I might have... I, I don't know what was happening. Looking back, I loved my freshman year mm-hmm. at college. I learned so much that year in those classes. But I think it's because I was placed in an acting studio rather than a musical theater studio. And I was like really wanting to do musical theater. But looking back, like I really appreciate that like core acting training. But like I started to apply for other colleges. Yeah, I didn't get so into any of them. you were really a little disillusioned with maybe, maybe I should be somewhere else. Yeah, which was really crazy considering how much how much I'd look forward to going. And I'm really glad I stayed because it all ended up working out. Though I regret a lot about freshman year. I don't regret all I did to explore New York. I do regret not focusing on what I did have rather than auditioning for other colleges. I regret not being as social um, in that respect. But um, it was awesome. I acclimated to the city a lot. It was great. I had a great, overall a great first year in New York. Yeah, yeah. 18 was whenever I first came to the city with with my school choir. So that, that was my first experience. And we were only here for like a week or so. How was that coming from the South? Oh, I mean, it was night and day. I mean, like, like there's nothing like New York down yeah. in Alabama. But for me, it was an energy and it was an experience that I was like, okay, yes, I would this love to, I, I want to come back here. I, I didn't know what it meant as far as like, you know, at 18, I wasn't sure, but I just knew I wanted to come yeah, back. You have yeah. to visit it at least once. It's, yeah, there's no other place like it. Yeah. You know? All right. This has been so grand. Wasn't it? Wasn't it great? As always, thank you for joining me and Remy today. And for more information on freemikes.com, Stand Up New York, and Comedy Mob, which Remy talked about today, you can look for those links in the show notes. And you'll also see ways to follow him on Instagram and Twitter, as well as a link to his website. Now, don't miss a single episode of Why I'll Never Make It by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. For me personally, I like Overcast. That's the one that I use to listen to all the podcasts that I follow. But whichever one you like to use, Why I'll Never Make It will be there. Again, I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones. Let's get together again next week as I talk to Megan Carver and we talk more about Why I'll Never Make It. Well, that is it. We, we reached the end of Is that. Is that it? Are we yeah. doing the five questions you promised? Yeah, yeah. All right, did yeah. I do okay? You did. You okay. did okay. I'm a rambler. <laughs> no, it's and okay. a gambler and a sweet talking lady. You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. There you go. Yeah. Is there anything that I didn't say that you wanted me to say? <laughs> I, I don't think you complimented me enough. Oh, I did. No, you did. No, you did. No kidding.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.